1: There are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. Hello and welcome to The Playlist Podcast, a podcast about film news, television, and any other pertinent pop culture items. I'm the host, Eric McClanahan, and with me is...
0: This is Octay Ege Kozak.
1: We're here basically to talk about, this is another edition of one of our home video highlight podcasts. And maybe just a brief reminder, uh, the the Playlist Podcast is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find all our other shows and this the other episodes for this one uh, at theplaylist.net. And any podcatcher you use, just look up the Playlist Podcast Network. So before we dive into our full-on chat here about the Tree of Life, this Pretty incredible uh, Criterion release that they've put out just recently. Um, I thought it'd be nice to just open up and um, start with you, Octa. I'd like to just know uh, what's something just recently, a highlight, something you've seen, TV, movies, whatever. uh, Anything you'd like to shout out?
0: Well, um, I've seen some pretty good stuff recently, but one that I want to give a bit of a shout out to, because this movie was kind of buried by the studio, is um, Lenny Abramson, the director of Room – uh, yeah. uh the best film of 2015 in my opinion mm-hmm. and the movie that like turned me into a, a curled up sobbing little bitch um <laughs> his new one which is kind of a Downton Abbey type costume period English pre- pre- countryside period drama mixed with a haunted house uh horror movie um, and it's called The Little Stranger, and, yeah. uh, I think the, I think it was released by Focus, and I don't, I think they just didn't know how to market this film. Uh, mm-hmm. the trailers kind of pushed a little bit heavier on the, the horror side, the, uh, the haunted house side of, of things, and made it look like kind of a traditional, um, horror like conjuring type thing with like jump scares and stuff maybe may, they they made it look like maybe a little bit more prestige because they used like lenny abramson's name and all that um uh, and i underst- understand why it was hard to market i just i don't understand why it was like buried like this because it just really didn't it, it got a very limited release and like very limited marketing mm-hmm. um like uh, I understand the conflict with the marketing, but even if you if they didn't have that much um of a clear idea of how to market the movie, at the very least I felt like um just uh Lenny Abrams' name and how kind of prestige and popular room was. Right. You would think they would just write on the coattails of that, even if they didn't like they, they marketed this as if it was a tiny little mini budget movie made by a nobody. Mm. and uh and the thing about it is that i i really i really really kind of appreciated this film i think it's one mm. of my favorites uh top ten favorites of the year uh because it is in many ways a really um really well put together kind of psychological drama um about it's 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 mainly about how we kind of either get more and more obsessed with things that we kind of admire and uh love like uh, from childhood mm. and how that affects us later on in life uh it's an interesting even though it takes place in the in the 50s i think or the 40s um it is an interesting uh, take on what nostalgia means how you look at things from your past With rose-colored glasses, and how they kind of, even if they let you down, how do you approach them later on? Because it's about um, a doctor played by Dominic Gleason, Mm -hmm. which when he was a child, uh, he's like coming from like a working-class family. His his family, when he was a child, worked at this giant kind of you know lavish uh, British countryside mansion, and uh, he's just kind of like obsessed with this one day where there was this one kind of carnival atmosphere carnival thing going on at the mansion and he was allowed into the mansion and was kind of like treated by the maids and stuff as if he was um, part of that family and he held on to that feeling so much that he spent his whole life kind of breaking through his his uh, kind of working class um, uh, life and becomes like a respected doctor and it goes back to this house that Decades later, this house is kind of in almost like it's, it's past life support, like barely a handful of people live there. Everybody hates living there. It's like, it's like, it's almost like decaying. Uh, it still has this like grand feel from the outside, but in the inside, it's like decaying and every, you know, every character who's living in there has some like horrible trauma from their past. And that's what the house reminds them of. And, but for him, the house reminds him of um, his childhood, what he looked up to. So he it becomes kind of obsessed with um, kind of healing the house. And then he, you know, by kind of trying to heal the uh, emotional wounds of the people who live in the house. And it just becomes this kind of like obsessive thing where it turns into like, does he really care about the people uh or does he just want to be like the king of this house, finally like realize this childhood dream in spite of everything else? And then so there's that there's this like this really nice base level of like psychological drama. And on top of that there is there's the haunted house story about like there's this presence in the house that is just angry and always tries to lashes out. It always lashes out to anyone. Who kind of starts planning to leave, and that's why everybody in there is just like kind of miserable because they think if they try to leave, this presence is going to kill them. Um, so it's this film that like tackles those both those tones, the, that period drama and that um, kind of really haunting, like straight up genre haunted house horror, uh, in equal measure. So in a way, it's hard to like kind of market it to the. Downton Abbey crowd because uh they'll be too spooked out by the genre elements, which Lenny Evers doesn't really like hold back in, in with those. Um there are some like truly like just eerie and terrifying moments in the film. But the horror audience I think will be too kind of um will find it too boring because it's 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 more it's mostly a drama than it is horror. But I I thought the the way that the themes of that story that I laid out connects with the um the haunted house elements and the mystery behind that I thought was really clever um uh, so yeah, I think it's like uh just another notch on the um the kind of horror renaissance that we've been going through recently where this like where these really like kind of inventive genre banding um horror movies have been coming out during the last couple of years uh but unfortunately, unlike you know unlike uh like hereditary or uh get out or some of the others like this one kind of like fell off the map and i think uh i don't know if it's even still playing at any theaters now but when it comes out on yeah. DOD i would i would recommend people check it out especially if you're into like uh original takes if you're a horror fan who's really into like original takes on the genre and if you're like into like that kind of uh i would rec- i would um uh, I would say it's 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 similar in tone to Robert Wise's um, The Haunting the original Haunting not the shitty remake <laughs> Yandaban um, version Yandaban remake Have you seen The Haunting <laughs>
1: uh, not the original but I've always heard that that's great I've seen the shitty version unfortunately It's
0: great yeah like like the like The Haunting um, The Little Stranger is also more about like the psychological side of the character mm. and uh, in The Haunting you never really know if it's uh, if there's actual like supernatural ghost stuff going on, if it's all psychological. And uh, The Little Stranger is a bit clearer on that front, but the tone is very similar. So if you're if you're a fan of that kind of like psychological horror with patience and that's like very character driven, uh, like kind of drama slash horror type thing, um, I think people should check it out. So what, what have you seen lately that you'd like to recommend? Uh,
1: well, I, I have a, sh- a shout-out here. Uh, it's not a movie. It's a Netflix series. But uh, I guess real quick before I do is I, I do wonder if if Focus just got spread thin with their August release. Uh, the, the much more popular one that they put out was, of course, Black Klansmen. And it mm-hmm. makes you wonder. That one had a zeitgeisty element to yeah. it. Yeah. Not in the same way, but something like Room had a zeitgeist element to it. And I think what you're seeing is – um movies that look really good The Little Stranger was just a blip of a release I didn't even get a chance to catch up with it and it looked awesome and uh I'm glad to hear that it's worth catching up with at least oh, yeah, because yeah. Yeah, these things become victims of, I think, a brutal release calendar. There's so many movies that even good ones, like if they're not riding some sort of zeitgeist wave or something, like it, they just get lost sometimes. So uh, that's, that's what we're here to do, though, man. Good yeah. good shout out. Yeah, it's I, a
0: shame. I think it was just a perfect storm of like they didn't know what to do with it. And then there wasn't much interest in the subject, in the genre around that time maybe. And then they had to put all their eggs into um, uh, Black Klansman.
1: Yeah, makes you wonder, because August was good to a lot of movies this year, but uh, yeah. apparently not for The Little Stranger. But yeah, good good uh, reminder. Check that one out, folks. Um, mine is very easily accessible, uh, for, well, of course, with anybody with a Netflix account. And uh, I've been a fan of this show since the beginning, but I just needed to give a shout-out to season five of BoJack Horseman. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, uh, have you have you kept up with this show? I know you've no, seen. No, I just some watched the
0: first season. Uh, it's one of those where, like, I have so many shows that you know, yeah. <laughs> just it's it's with, with TV shows these days. There are so many of them, so many options that um, even if I really like it, like BoJack Horseman, which I really like that show, and I'm yeah, I want to get back to it and like catch up with it. Uh, I don't know, man. I I have to have this like. Um, like kind of like deeply passionate personal connection to a show for me to like stick through it's it's not enough for right. me to like like or even love the show anymore which is like it's messed up but like dropping down like when when i have to see all these movies and catch up with so much like pop culture stuff for uh, articles and do research and all that stuff it's like there's so little time for me to like plunk down like 101520 hours on right, uh, right on one story basically like one piece of entertainment that I have to be very very um choosy so uh that's just me saying basically like I really like the first season of the show and I keep hearing that it just gets better and better and one day, hopefully, I'll get to it.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's it, these are these are modern problems for people like you and me, man. Yeah, we we yeah, can't this even the stuff first for world fun.
0: Problems for sure.
1: <laughs> it's true. I mean, but um, that is very true, and I think that's the real thing I want to focus on. Is it, just by highlighting season five is most television shows, just in general, are on their downward slope at this point. You know, and a five seasons in, there's just usually the ideas seem to be run, you know, run out of or um. Uh, showrunners tend to be wrapping things up at this point. N- not the case with Bojack. It doesn't seem to be having any end in sight. And I got to say that would worry me more were it not for how consistently great this show is. And um, it does continue to find new elements for each season that sort of up the stakes or recapture your interest, So you're not just seeing the same shit over and over again. Um, there's a real brilliant use of just, um, Continuity in the show, for lack of a better way to put it, like it's an animated show where there are consequences to everything, and nothing is forgotten from the past. And some of that is employed with really fun, spoofy puns or um, or sight gags that reference something. If you have a good memory, or if you if you're obsessed with the show, the way me and my girlfriend are, this is this is one of our just personal go to shows, and we we rewatch it a lot. Um, and now that there's a new season that just just popped in, uh, I think uh, two weeks ago. Um, I, I would just say, uh, catch up with it if you're able to, of course, you know, everybody's got busy schedules, um, or, you know, see this one, um, see it again. Cause we're, we're already rewatching season five episodes. Um, yeah, it, so yeah, it,
0: it helps when your like kind of partner or significant other is into the show as well, because then Definitely. you get like something to watch and something to like do together. But yeah, I, I, I seem to find, I, I find myself like not, be able to follow through even the like i said the shows i like if like my wife is not really into it and she's like oh, i don't like it i'm not gonna like like for example i'm a huge um not a huge but i'm a big matt groaning fan i'm a big fan of the simpsons and yeah. futurama and still haven't caught up with uh his new show disenchantment. On, yeah. disenchantment on netflix i just watched the pilot episode i thought it was fine i don't I, mm-hmm. I think it was great but just the fact that it's Matt groaning and it's the same style of animation and the same style of humor you would think that I would just like gobble up every single episode overnight or something, but I still <laughs> haven't gotten past beyond the pilot. And some of it has to do with like, you know, when your partner is like, I'm not interested in this, you have to carve out an even niche slice of uh, your time to spend on it. And um and I spend that time getting high and watching Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny two <laughs> times in a row. So
1: well, there's way worse things you could do with your time, man. That's
0: sh- another shout out. I think it's time for yeah. that movie to like be considered one of the best like heavy metal musical comedies or whatever of the last uh of the 21st century. I I think I think that movie is exactly what they set out to do, which is to create like the most immature, stupidest, <laughs> and silliest like heavy metal, like awesome heavy metal rock rock musical. Of all time, so... And I mean,
1: uh, come on, I I will forever love... I I remember not liking the movie, but maybe I need to reassess and go back because I think I just found it, like, all the good stuff from Tenacious D, like, maybe for me didn't work in long feature length, but I don't know, Kyle Gass and Jack Black are just, like, so adorably funny to me and uh I love that they even made that movie even though I didn't like it that much at the time. I,
0: I uh, watched it recently and it's it's really I mean, it holds up as far as like this eighties style like heavy metal adventure. Uh it has all this like kinda like brought me, you know and, and uh just a side note, and I'm surprised you haven't brought up uh, Mandy yet, but uh it <laughs> the kind of like fantasy heavy metal imagery in right. the movie it just reminded me of like Uh, an Adult Swim version of, like, Mandy or something. Um, Right, you
1: you could pair them up. You could, like, have the comedy version and then the, like, metal, like, revenge drama thing that Mandy is. (laughs) Uh,
0: That that would be an interesting uh, double feature. I would watch Mandy first and then... Yep, you know, I kind agree. Of cool down with, because uh, you don't want to go to bed with the final images of Mandy <laughs> in your. No, you
1: bed. need to unwind with Jack Black riding a rainbow wave with a Sasquatch, if I remember right, yeah, or yeah, something like stuff that. like that. <laughs> For sure, um,
0: the cock push-ups uh, <laughs> that that deactivates the laser to get the pick of destiny. There's some like really. Pretty hilarious stuff in there,
1: for sure, man. Well, um, that would be a fun double feature. I I don't think Pick of Destiny would double up as well with our uh, our featured discussion <laughs> for today. Oh, no. But what the hell? I mean, we, we're adventurous. Why not give it a give it a whirl if you're feeling feeling uh, you know saucy in that way? But uh, yeah, we're let's let's pivot into our main talk though. Um, uh, so yeah, the, the tree of life is probably a movie if you're listening to this podcast or if you even, you know, if you read the playlist at all, I'm sure you, you know, of this movie, you've probably seen it and you probably have a strong opinion about it. is is my guess. But, um, I think the reason it's, well, it's very obvious why it's worth highlighting and, uh, maybe we should just point that out is. Uh, this movie has now gotten the Criterion Blu ray treatment. Just came out a couple weeks ago. So it's out in stores now. And um, most likely, although I don't have a Filmstruck account, it's probably streaming on there as well. No,
0: no it's not. It's not
1: not yet? Okay. Well, it'll be eventually in their Criterion but, rotation, probably. I'm sure. But, um, you know, we're here to talk about. You know, home media anyway. So let's let's pimp this Blu-ray, which is incredible. Yeah, and it's probably uh, the
0: release of the year. I mean, it's 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 amazing.
1: Start there. I mean, you told me so. Like before, I hand off to you. Is like the real gem of this release is you get an entire new version of this movie included with yeah. the theatrical version.
0: Yeah, it's, and, it's uh, called yeah. the extended version, which is kind of misleading. I would have just called it something else, but um, because it's not really extended in the way that like you get the same. Beats, as the original, just have, like, extra scenes inserted here and there. It's a completely re-edited, completely new, and a completely different movie in many, many ways.
1: It is, man. It's crazy. Uh, Like, that... I didn't remember, you know, so that's what I watched today. I wanted to watch the extended cut. That was kind of the impetus for me to want to get my hands on this Blu-ray to see honestly, if I liked the movie more. Um, and maybe that's another good spot for us to sort of open this one up is, um, you know, this movie, when it came out was a, a massive deal for cinephiles. Um, and then, It kind of became a, a, you know, a relative hit for the type of movie it is. There's a lot to be in awe of with the fact that this movie was even made in the way it is. Essentially, you know, comes out in 2011 and it is the closest thing I can think of to a big budgeted art movie, you know, a Mm -hmm. big budgeted true art house film. Um, And it was put out by frickin' Fox Searchlight. Well, Fox Searchlight makes sense, but the fact that Fox at all was behind one of the bigger budget art house movies ever yeah. made is is impressive. And they gave
0: him con- complete control over... Complete control, yeah. And if Terrence, you do that with Terrence Malick, you're going to get some pretty <laughs> weird narrative choices. So yes, they, you they must have known that going in. It's
1: true. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a a, a confidence and a, a real desire by the people involved behind Malick to see this project of his to you know to a conclusion because it had undergone a lot of iterations it was i think going to be the movie that he followed up days of heaven with in the 70s but then that didn't happen and it took all decades and decades for him uh reworking it or working on it finding a way to make it doable um it was called Q i think at that time mm-hmm. and now it's of course called the tree of life but this movie was a big it was, deal. It was
0: supposed to have a lot more of that kind of like Douglas Trumbull, um, beginning, of uni- beginning and end of universe effects. and the Right, right. The cosmic life, stuff. The, the cosmos stuff. The, um, uh, yeah, the beginning of life, the dinosaurs and all that stuff. It was, it was supposed to be like a kind of a 50-50 type deal. Which is also interesting, you know. The, I
1: feel like appropriately for the way this movie tells its story is like we're going to go off on all these little discursive tangents and little just interesting factoids that involve Terrence Malick. But this movie specifically is that um, you know, yeah, it it it's it was wrapped up in this documentary he's released, but barely got a release was the Voyage of Time. I think. Mm-hmm. The, I, which I have not seen did you Me ever neither. catch up
0: yeah yeah there are two versions of it there's the like 45 minute IMAX version which I hear is like really good mm-hmm. and there's the hour and a half like regular version which I hear is like pretty bad so I heard
1: that too I heard that too <laughs> and apparently Brad Pitt narrates the 45 minute version and Kate yeah. Blanchett narrates the long the longer one Yeah. and it only got like a brief IMAX release the shorter version and then they kind of cut their losses is how it seemed uh, with with that release. And that always seemed like a shame because I always thought that that was sort of the best place for modern Terrence Malick is like, man, just give me the pretty pictures and give me a montage effect of all your, of a a sort of creationist nature doc would be really cool. Um, But at least you get, I mean, in tree of life, you get that and you get so much more. It is a movie packed with, literally just information it, so much is conveyed in so little time from shot to shot but it really is a movie that um you know 2001 is a movie that it's been compared to since before it was even made and f- i guess for good reasons but they're also quite different films but essentially they span a, a massive amount of time right and the before humans were on this planet well, and, and all
0: that one is fide science fiction tree of life isn't tree of life is just right. um a kind of treatise on um, man's place in nature and, um, like, the way that it splits uh, between grace and nature with the voiceover at the beginning, and then you start to get the feeling that, you know, the the kid's mother, uh, the kid's grow, growing up in the 50s, kind of an autobiographical, uh, very kind of bluntly personal autobiographical story by um, uh, Terrence Malick. And you start to get the feeling that the mother represents grace. She is all about taking things in and returning them with, uh, with love and understanding. And uh, the father represents nature, which is about, like, there's always something around the corner that's going to eat you. And uh, there's a hierarchy. And you have to work really hard, and you have to be cynical. And um, you basically have to be a beast if you want to, like, kind of be a part of that hierarchy. And it's just like this budding heads of these two kind of um, existential um, philosophies. And then that that's wrapped around um, kind of almost as if making the point of the mother, like kind of how small and ignis- insignificant uh, human beings really are as far as like the beginning and ending of the universe is concerned. Because when Malik gives you that like giant kind of... Uh, billions and billions of years spanning across like the beginning of uh, the planet and everything else. Um, But then also there's there's the ending that takes place on the beach, which is kind of sort of uh, spiritual. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are parts of it that represents the afterlife, but also I think it partly represents kind of like God's grace uh, or something like that. So he also makes it... With those scenes, I feel like he also makes the counter-argument that even though... Uh, human beings are tiny, teeny uh, as compared to the giantness of nature, especially if you consider the beginning and ending of the universe. Um, we're just a blip. We're just not even like a blip on the system. Uh, mm. But he also makes the point of like, you know, we should take that with grace. And, um, you know, Malek is a very kind of spiritual person. And he, he kind of tackles the spirit, spirituality in, in very like interesting intellectual ways. Uh, and that's what Makes me kind of um, as as a pers- as as someone who's not really a person of faith. That's what like draws me to him because he is very mm. kind of open um, with his kind of doubts about faith and the doubts about like what man's place in the universe is. And this is a film that kind of like uh, dives deeply into that. Yeah, he's a really earnest filmmaker, and I think in his best
1: films. He's become his best films. I feel like that's almost it fits better with the story he's trying to tell, or it's just tampered down like in his earlier work. His two films from the '70s still remain my favorites: yeah. Badlands and Days of Heaven. But he is an earnest filmmaker, and I think that can even get him into trouble sometimes with basically everything he's done post Tree of Life, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, um, but he, uh, but then again, that's kind of the thing I appreciate uh, appreciate about him beyond the the obvious things that are always associated with him beautiful visuals classical music um you know the, the spiritual sort of narratives that he's yeah. exploring the Whispering, um, exactly the whispering poetry exactly the multifaceted narration which sometimes it can come off like to me i've laughed at that before in his weaker movies to the wonder yeah. was just uh, like a, a slog for me as was Knight of cups where yeah yeah some of that
0: stuff just when, gets but when he doubles down on that stuff and can't really figure out a cohesive theme or even something really powerfully emotional to say that style is very kind of it's kind of like a gamble like it, it just mm. the whole thing just crumbles and by crossing that tiny little t- line it goes from like a transcendental masterpiece like um tree of life for example to kind of like a kind of like a pretentious art housey laughingstock like uh, yeah to the wonder with just a tiny little like if he kind of loses the thread a little bit and you can't really like follow him on like what he's trying to accomplish it just turns into a lot of like quick cut series of like calvin klein ads or you know perfume (laughs) ads or something like that and that just becomes really annoying it's true it's true and yet tree of life was that
1: first movie in this part of his career where he really had an explosion of like a new creative style of telling the film and mm-hmm. something that is mimicked, uh, I would say sometimes better and not better than tree of life, but like, I think I, a, a podcast you and I did years ago, we referenced how upstream color kind of did a similar effect mm-hmm. to, to the wonder. And, you know, uh, we like that movie to varying degrees you and I, but like it no, it's was really a little better than
0: to the wonder, so much. Sure. <laughs> exactly. And
1: it's taken that style. And I like seeing other directors, um, because Malick is nothing, if not highly influential to filmmakers, like yeah. you're, you're seeing some of the biggest directors like Ryan Johnson, like not necessarily literally quote him or reference him in a film that he did like last Jedi, but he talks about tree of life. He talks about Malick, you know, he's an influence and these directors are always trying to search for those like amazing moments that he is so, uh, adept and gifted at with his crew at catching and capturing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that that was something I really took to with this recent rewatch is it, it is it is a little strange that it's called the extended version because you, I bet, know better than me. I, I'm just assuming you've seen Tree of Life more than me, but yeah. it felt like there was I, I, definitely I, 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 a. I, how
0: many times have you seen it? The
1: this is actually... The original cut I saw twice in theaters, and that's it until today where I saw the extended. So uh, three total. I think I
0: watched the original like four times or something, and I I, I skipped through it a little bit just to compare uh, because the first disc actually comes with the theatrical version. So the Criterion set doesn't – it's not only extended.
1: And it's, of course, packed with all kinds of like – I've only oh, yeah. skimmed the surface on the features, but there's all kinds of great-looking stuff. There's a one on the special effects alone that's like 20 minutes, and if that would yes. have been an hour and 20 minutes, I would have been so that happy. That one is amazing. And,
0: and, and also, none of it is really um, – there's some st- stuff poured over from the original Blu-ray release, but even that stuff, like none of it is really like that kind of like mutual ass-kissing EPK right. – Uh, type of like making of video where it's like it's basically like just like glorified trailer to like sell the movie to the audience and everybody got along and everybody has like (laughs) nothing but nice things to say to each other but it's just like it really goes into like how um, kind of challenging it was to like put this whole thing together and to try to like get into the wavelength that uh, Malik was going for. Dude it sounded like An insane
1: circus, essentially, because um, Jack Fisk, the somewhat legendary production designer that's, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I believe, worked on all of Malick's films. He worked on films Mm -hmm. like The Revenant and There Will Be Blood, uh, Eraserhead. This dude's a legend. And he um, talked about, they essentially built five square block radius of a set for this Mm -hmm. movie, for for specifically that 50s. Most of the movie takes place in that 50s era where the kids are growing up.
0: Texas suburbs, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's um it's incredible because the movie has – it allows them to have – like they were just shooting constantly, and they, if they ran out of – if they were using a film camera they and they ran out of the, – if the magazine ran out, they would just grab another camera because they didn't want to lose the energy of all the kids. Yeah,
0: because they used all natural lighting, and yeah, they didn't exactly. want to lose that energy. So that's why it's all – there's a lot of like sweeping kind of steady steadicam shots in there, and the the fact that there were like no lights – Anywhere allowed them to just move the camera whenever they wanted, whenever, wherever the performances took the actors, and you can kind of see that in the movie as well. Like there's that spontaneity that you don't see in a lot of films.
1: It's it's why I think it might be one. To me, it's the peak example of just childhood in film. Not maybe the best. I mean, if it could be a more like uh like maybe subtle debate, but. Uh, Like there are great films, obviously, about childhood coming of age. Tree of Life only is somewhat about that. And yet the sections where it is that the sort of um, and this is where the extended version is pretty exciting for someone like me is Mm -hmm. that's that stuff's longer. Oh, Uh, is is that, that 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 montage storytelling where dialogue is very quiet in the sound mix? It's more about imagery and just yeah also like something I thought about today and I, I doubt I'm coining this, but I thought of it as like blip edits, like yeah. edits that will just be like a blip of a moment, but tell you minutes worth of information. Yeah. They tell a little story from cut to cut. Yeah. And, and then it has this really dynamic, like editing structure where it is free to go from wherever time period it wants from scene to scene, edit to edit. And you can, it's very coherent in tree of life. It's, it's like a path, you know, you're, you're on like, the, the, Malik was so, I think, just knew what he was going for with this. This thing had been labored over for so long that they could also find these magical, like, happy accidents, and yet the movie coheres. And the fact that they made the set so large, and they shot with natural light, that it the fact that it matches is insane. And I think... That's a shout out you got to give to the, another legend is, uh, you know, Chivo, Emmanuel Lubezki, the, mm-hmm. the cinematographer who's just, you know, won three Oscars for stuff like The Revenant and Birdman and uh, Gravity. And he's a freaking genius. And uh, by the way, how do you not win the Oscar for this movie for cinematography? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that it matters, but it's like, oh, he didn't win for this one. Should and should have uh, some
0: kind of special award for the use of like natural light because it, it really is a visual masterpiece when it comes to that. It's so freaking gorgeous. And um, yeah, but uh, another thing about this extended
1: cut that uh, at least the thing that seemed most obvious uh, is there's like in a whole added section that really dives more into Jessica Chastain's mother character. And I. Mm what was great about it in the extended version I was like oh this is this reminds me of some of the stuff that I felt was lacking in the theatrical is like she got short shrift and she sort of became yeah, that there's, that, there's like,
0: also a clearer connection between Sean Penn and the yes. flashbacks uh there's yes. a lot of, I, I mean I look at <clears throat> it's almost like I kind of feel like instead of calling it an extended edition they should have called the they should have released this as um like different titles for the different cuts. I think uh, right. if it was me, I would have been like, um, you know, the theatrical cut would have been tree of life grace and the extended cut would have been tree of life nature. Yeah. That's cool. Because, um, the theatrical cut is like this, uh, stream of consciousness, memory, um, track that, uh, you know Sean Penn's character, who's basically in the theatrical cut, who's only there to just represent the older version of one of the brothers, um, and of course he was pissed about that because they shot a lot more stuff. But uh, yeah. in in the in the form of the theatrical cut, it really works. Mm-hmm. Um, he just Terrence I could have just gone with like a lesser known actor, maybe I don't know, for that kind of a placeholder part. Uh, but. The whole movie kind of lays, is, is laid out like, um, like the way that adults, like we remember our childhoods. It's yes. in snippets. It's in like little pieces, uh, you know, where you remember the image, but you can't remember what the person was saying, for example. There's a lot right. of that. Uh, right. it's all very, like, kind of, uh, nonlinear and it's, it's, um, it's it's, just, it's like the way the childhood memories kind of like roll out. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's why it has that kind of like uh, manic, nonlinear pace. And uh, the reason I would call that grace is because like you're supposed to, even if a lot of like the narrative touches, you can't really connect them together. You're supposed to like take it all in as this experience without judging it, without... Um, with kind of like an open mind of saying like this is what like this artist is like kind of given to me and I'm going to take it I'm going to turn it into something like spiritually enriching or something like that Uh, and the extended version kind of uh, puts together the more linear more traditional narrative that I think a lot of Malik's critics when the Tree of Life came out would would, like more this time around I agree. Because it's a more uh, kind of patient dissection of like almost like meticulously uh, laying out how step by step uh, childhood innocence is lost. And we become self-aware of the cruelty in nature. And when we become self-aware of that, it is up to us and our free will to make the decision between are we going to be a fighter and are we going to let like societal status take over our lives and maybe become miserable people? Because all we're thinking about is how to like stab the next guy in the back so we can like keep advancing. And everybody kind of like has like kind of a side eye against each other. Everybody's competing against each other. And it's like that. um, And uh, it's interesting how a lot of you get a lot of the shots Um, from the original cut in different places in the extended version you get sequences that are edited differently Um, one of the only sequences that I could easily pick up on that is exactly the same as the theatrical version is the sequence in which um, the predator dinosaur I think it's a raptor the dinosaur Mm -hmm. scene the Mm -hmm. raptor dominates the the herbivore dinosaur the -hmm. prey dinosaur and what the raptor does is that – and the, the editing of the scene is exactly the same in both versions. Yeah. Uh, the raptor, instead of just immediately eating the creature, kind of shows the creature how he is superior to him. How he can just like – he puts his feet on, on mm. the on the face. And uh, there's this one moment where the, where the uh, prey dinosaur kind of like tries to get up and the raptor is just like, no, no, you're going to stay there. That's your place. Right. And it's exactly the same, so it makes me kind of, like, make the connection of, um, you know, like, just the that kind of the way that nature kind of creates that hierarchy um, is not really, you know, that's, as far as, like, the actual philosophical approach goes, what uh, the Brad Pitt character, the kind of, like, stern, borderline abusive uh, father, uh, is constantly on about, like, these people are screwing me. I'm not getting right. my place in the world. Uh, this is a dog eat dog world. If you don't eat, you're going to get eaten. Kind of mentality. I'm like, that's not that different from that short scene that we see with the dinosaur. So he makes that direct connection in both cuts. Um, right. But the um, the extended cut. The reason, like, I'm like. I love the extended cut, but I wouldn't make a comparison because they're very different approaches to the same kind of argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the extended cut, like really, like meticulously lays out uh, in a very linear sense. You see the kids of this family, uh, and I think uh, Sean Penn's character is kind of a placeholder for Terrence Malick. Mm-hmm. Um, you see these kids kind of like gradually start. Uh, you know, they come into this world as like these free beings without any kind of um, emotional or spiritual shackles, and just like gradually, one one piece of innocence is taken away from that until from them until like they become like the beast that um, that the father character Brad Pitt kind of tells them they have to be. But then at the same time, he is also coming from a place of immense love but because he's you know quote unquote on the side of nature as far as the film's uh philosophy is concerned he is he's all about like i have to be tough to these kids so that they don't get like run over like i did um right right so you can you can understand those things a lot more clearer <clears throat> in the uh in the extended version which i found to be like just so fascinating because it's like three hours and eight minutes long but it's just like it just um it just washes over you. Yeah. I, I was what, thinking what you, of I was, what did you think of the just overall, what did you think of the extended
1: uh, I I definitely like it better and I, I felt hmm. like it actually this this might seem weird. It's so much it's like fifty minutes longer. I, I feel like it's paced better this way. I feel like huh. it needs it needs the longer sections and um yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was just my experience watching it today. But so it's almost uh, it's, like a
0: third-person narrative as opposed yeah. to the uh, theatrical version's first-person narrative. You almost get the like uh, the yeah. clips and bits and pieces from the Champagne character's memories. And that's right. what you it, get.
1: That stuff that, – that, that's a really good point. You you have other discursive things that come outside of his POV in the longer version. And that's true. That That's a – kind of subtle, but major difference between the two. Uh, I guess another thing I just have to admit I I liked is that the stuff that is more extended is my favorite stuff from the theatrical version. Like I was less enamored with the Sean Penn elements. I felt like it, he didn't have much to do and wasn't in the movie very much, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. better that he's extended given more. Uh, it's, it's just more coherent where he lands in the thread in this new version, but also you just get a lot more of these like, documentary like m- captured moments where it's, it's what you're talking about of like capturing innocence lost. There must be at least a half dozen just shots of a child. And like, you're seeing it in reality because they they are getting these kids to just be kids and they captured it that way. Right. You know, like when, when the children of Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain are just like one starting to walk and one's a baby, you catch moments on these kids faces where they're like, Oh my God, other people like you see, these things that you could not act. And there's this gorgeous, just documentary, like just magical moments that they captured. And there's more of it. I feel like in this version. And also I just, I think why the fact that it's longer, but yet I felt it was paced even better for me is that I think the camera work is something that I really dwelled on even more this time is that it's constantly moving. There are almost no locked on, locked off shots. Like uh, they almost never, They it's either a steady cam or very, um, I would say yeah. visible, visible shaky cam. The you sh- know, like just
0: breathe a little bit more, so that it allows they do. You to like take them in a little bit.
1: And I, I loved. I started thinking about. Um, here, here's a Mandy reference for you. Uh, that the director Panos Kazmatos, has said in interviews lately that uh, the two movies that really captured his imagination and made him th- realize like what a filmmaker can do as an artist is After Hours and Evil Dead Two. And he talked about. How the camera – it's – the movies – both those movies are overtly letting you know. They almost break the fourth wall with their camera work, right? They're like – they're letting you know the camera is a thing that can do insane stuff and it's going to remind you it's a movie. And I started thinking about that in the context of Tree of Life where it's not exactly the same. However, the camera work is so bold and so – um, fast moving, like literally it's catching up with these kids. I started thinking about, Oh, how perfect that is to the memory aspect of what we're watching. Right. It's like, you're always trying to catch up with the memory. It kind of moves in the way that your, your mind might work. And I thought that was a really brilliant touch, but also the idea that Lubeski found, another way to have the camera be like, it's the character. It's, it's something that you are very cognizant of, but yet it's not as it's not in that genre aspect of like an evil dead two or something like that. And I just got my brain cooking and I, I love seeing how like the camera can be a paintbrush. I don't want to be too pretentious, but we're talking Terrence Malick here. So, so why not? But I really get the sense of it as a paintbrush in this movie. I mean, the camera does wild off the wall stuff. It like moves into angles that make very little sense in terms of framing, but that it just kind of works. The movie, the movie is like relentlessly from moment to moment. It moves, but yet, um, very coherent. And like, like you said, the best, I think way to experience it is to do what it does best. Let it wash over you. And it, it just takes hold. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not like being in a dream. It's not like being in a, in a nightmare. It is different. It's, it's a memory that you're lost in a series of memories. And, um, it's like an amazing sense of time travel in cinema. Yeah. In this movie that I really, really just took to with this viewing.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really like, you know, if you get the Criterion um, set and let's say, you know, you rented it or something and you have, um, where are you gonna rent it from? Number one, no it would be madness, in Portland. That's about yeah, it. be madness in Portland. And what is what's Ryan's place? Scarecrow in Seattle. Scarecrow. Yeah. There you go. You can. Let's say you got him. <laughs> you live in Portland or Seattle. You got him to rent, and you only have enough time to watch one of them. I think it's just basically a question of not like which one is better. In in my opinion, because they are very different approaches to the same kind of um, project. Uh, I think I think it would be about like, do you want to have this kind of. Um, stream of consciousness, like um, existential experience where um, these uh, kind of universally relatable memories of childhood and loss of innocence are coming to you uh, without much of a kind of narrative through line, Uh, it's uh, then, and then you kind of like pick up on little bits and pieces of themes and uh philosophy here and there but it's it's all about the experience uh this kind of like almost spiritual experience then i would recommend going for the theatrical cut mm. but if you more if you want like a more thought provoking dissection of what like the humanity's role in the universe and if we are creatures of grace, or if we are creatures of nature, which one is the better path? And a dissection, right. and a very thoughtful, like methodical dissection of, um, uh, you know, uh, the loss of innocence as we in our childhood, as we grow older. Uh, I would go with the the extended cut.
1: For sure. I think that's, I think that's really good advice. So before we, we recorded this podcast and we were kind of planning it out, you had texted back, Hey, the extended version is the best film of 2018. Does that, uh, does that still hold? Will this movie be in your top 10, uh, come at the end of the I year? Mean,
0: if I can like kind of get it in there, it's a bit of an argument, isn't it? Because we go by, um, Right. If it's about release date, it was released in 2018. Uh, you might never, have some leeway. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, we never talk about when it comes to like our top 10 of the year or stuff like that. We never really talk about like, oh, it was produced in this year because usually the films in our top 10 were produced the year before or two years ago sometimes. Right. right. Um, so that happens a lot. It's not about the production year, it's about the release year. So I feel like this was released in 2018. So I think I should be able to. But yeah. I mean, even if it's not my number one of the year, we'll see how the rest of the year goes. Uh, and um, and you were never really here. It's still like pretty top, yeah. uh, in my opinion. Um, but uh, but yeah, I can. I feel like I can make that argument. Uh, I mean, there was like um, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, there was this jean Pierre Melville movie, yeah, uh, Army, of, Army Shadows. of Shadows. Yeah, yes. it was, it I was going to say 19- that too. Yeah, I was made in nineteen sixty eight. Wasn't because it was like you know it had a lot of like anti-American like uh, imperialist sentiments in it. It wasn't released up until was it 2008 or something like that? Yeah, yeah, seven and or it, eight. It yeah. wasn't a lot of critics uh, top ten list mainly because it was released then, and a couple of critics I remember like put it in their like number one spot. So um, yep, I think I have I have precedents in the court of uh, <laughs> in in the in the movie nerd court of like whether or not you can put. Uh, an older movie in your, in your top 10. Uh, I mean, and, I love that. Man. Uh, yeah. Three of life, the theatrical cut was my number one film of 2011. And, uh, because it's such a different film and because I get like such a different kind of satisfaction out of the extended cut, I, I don't think it would be kind of too repetitious to, I, I really, I really do look at these as like two different films. It's just, it just happens to be that the footage comes from the same production. Right.
1: <laughs> Right, you know? right, <laughs> and apparently they shot so much damn footage that there there could be many other totally different movies. You like I probably I, made yeah. another
0: three-hour movie just on Sean Penn's character or something that has like yep no connection to any footage that's found in the theatrical cut or you know.
1: That has been reported for sure. Um, yeah, dude, I I like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be on your side of the court. I'll be there to to back you up, man. Because you're probably yeah. gonna get a lot of pushback from the playlist <laughs> at the end yeah. of the year. You know, like of course, uh, yeah. Rodrigo and some of those some of the higher ups at the playlist. They get they get very picky about what movies are allowed in our finals. And often I feel like our personal ones can be a little different than what we submit there. But you know, that's all part of the the fun, I guess. But uh, yeah, they, man, they I'm,
0: have nothing on Paste Magazine. They're very strict about really. The, these are the rules for the end of year list and you got to do this many. And these are the films that were released and you can only pick from these movies and stuff like that. So
1: I guess yeah, it we'll makes sense with we'll so many movies. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I just think, um, you do have precedents. Uh, I felt our minds melding as soon as you said army of shadows, that was exactly what I was going to say mm-hmm. to you. And, and, uh, yeah, side note, that movie's fucking brilliant. People watch that one too. Criterion put that out as well. Well, well, so. well to
0: be fair, uh, I'm going to go see, um, the uh kevin hart tiffany haddish movie night school tomorrow for a review nice you never know that might like take the number one spot <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey i i do like me some uh, tiffany haddish is the yeah, shit yeah. you know i mean she's I'm, I'm
0: making fun of it but like <laughs> I, you know i think she's great but she is but you're but probably ever, right. ever since that um what was that girl strip movie she's been having that, kind of a trouble of finding roles that like fit her energy
1: it's the melissa so mccarthy effect you know yeah, like
0: yeah you hit like big, big happening and with her yeah
1: it happened to Will Ferrell at one point, and he's kind of come back in some ways to like do well. You know, it, it happens to these comic actors that make a massive splash like that. But um
0: yeah, they, the, she, the problem great. becomes that like once they make the massive splash with a certain type of humor and character, for the next five years or so, I feel like the studios are like, okay, you have to you have to repeat that like verbatim, it, right?
1: And they're getting a payday, so, you yeah. know, you
0: yeah, to yeah. for a couple days, they make much mo- For a couple of years, they make money and with diminishing results of the same material, and then hopefully they... I feel like Tiffany Haddish is, like, talented enough to, like, kind of break through from that, but it's probably going to take a couple of years.
1: Well, if Terrence Malick is listening, and I'm sure he is, uh, cast Tiffany Haddish in one of your movies, man, yeah, and see man. what happens.
0: I think, I, honestly, I think she would be a great... <laughs> dramatic actress not even she's
1: amazing she i wholeheartedly agree well all right so since we're spinning off into (laughs) other conversations let's wrap this one up and i before we do i just wanted to give a shout out to our our editor-in-chief at the playlist rodrigo perez wrote a really nice uh basically a three-page uh breakdown of this new criterion uh tree of life release that really breaks it down uh chapter by chapter essentially in the in the the extended version like how uh, it's what's added and things like that. Really yeah, worth reading. The chapters
0: um, it does show you like it, it is. It really is like broken up by like um, certain themes. Absolutely. The
1: yeah, he described them as like movements in an, orc- mm-hmm. in an orchestra, yeah. and I thought that's really ap- appropriate yeah. for, for this movie. So yeah, give that a shout out uh, or give that a check, uh, a read if you're so inclined. Um, and then of course we have uh, all our other podcasts here on the playlist podcast network. There's over under movies. We've got something in the works for October that should be yes. coming soon enough very excited always for our october episodes we've got adjust your tracking the other podcast that i host with joe von oppen uh joe von oppen would never have come on this malik podcast nothing makes that guy more cranky than terrence malik so i'm really glad uh that we could come on because i sometimes get deprived of this stuff that i want to <laughs> talk about and joe joe's too cranky so yeah, yeah. thanks yeah i appreciate you uh you you coming on and moonlighting with me tonight buddy and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So find all our other shows at theplaylist.net and the Playlist Podcast Network on your podcatcher of choice. You can find me at Adjust Your Track on Twitter. Uh, is there anywhere uh, you'd like to point people to find you online? Octave.
0: Facebook.com/slash egekozak e g e k o z a k. That's where I put all of my review work or podcast work. You know, it could be Paste Magazine, Playlist, DVD Talk, whatever. So the Thrillist, it all goes in there. That's
1: right. Follow him there, and uh, yeah, we'd be very appreciative if you did that, and if you spread the word on this podcast. But uh, I'm just thankful uh, to get to have a little art house chat with my buddy Octa. So thanks. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks again, buddy.
0: Thank you.